Good morning and Boker Tov. Great to be back together again to study the Parsha. This week we do have a Parsha, the Shabbos Ha'azinu. We don't get to study it uh, together that often because of the way the calendar usually falls. So grateful to have the opportunity to study it together this morning. I want to thank our generous sponsors for the Parsha series for the year, Becky and Avi Katz and family in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman. Le'iloi nishmas David ben Achamanish. Thank you so much to the Katzes. Deeply appreciate their generosity. This morning's class is also sponsored by Jory Epstein. So grateful to Jory. Thank you for that sponsorship. Thank you for listening. She sponsored uh, for uh, in honor of our shul for offering so many meaningful classes during COVID nineteen, and we're grateful to your generosity and to listening. I also want to mention that this morning's shear is part of a global learnathon. There's a beautiful effort across the globe to provide a 24-hour learning in anticipation of Yom Kippur, all to benefit a group of Chesed organizations. And I'm proud to be part of it and grateful to those who've organized that uh, to be able to join as well. So Parshas Ha'azinu. Ha'azinu is a song. If you actually look at the way it's even laid out, in the Art Scroll Stone, Chumash, it's on page 1,100, 1,100. And if you look at the way it's laid out, you see that it's two columns. It actually appears as poetry. It's a song, Ha'azinu HaShamayim Va'adabeira. The text reads very unusual, different than what we're used to ordinarily reading in the Parsha, in the Torah. It reads like poetry. It reads like a song. It should be put to music. Very, very poetic words. The, um, the, the text itself really jumps off the page. It's very significant to us. Now, it's very interesting. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, Daflamet Aleph, entertains something that we don't do. We hear Ha'azinu once a year, one Shabbos a year, we read Ha'azinu. We actually hear it maybe more often than other parshios, because not only do we read it the Monday and Thursday before, but depending on the way that Rosh Hashanah falls, you could read it several Mondays or Thursdays or Shabbos Minchas, depending on how the calendar is, is arranged. But in the time of the Gemara, the Gemara records, and again, Rosh Hashanah, Lamed Aleph, the Gemara entertains the possibility that Hazinu was not only read one Shabbos every year, but was in fact read every Shabbos. Why? The Gemara there delineates the Shir Shayom, the songs that would accompany different korbanos, different sacrifices. It tells us the power of song. You know, the, as many people have stuff, suffered and struggled in this pandemic, the thought that we would have to entertain Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur without being able to sing, sing is what opens up the heart. It's what opens up the soul. Song is what moves us, transports us, uplifts us, enriches us. Sing has a, song has a tremendous capacity. We talked about this several weeks ago when the Torah tells us, Kisvah Lachem es Hashira Hazos, Parshas Vayelech, the 613th, the last and final mitzvah in the Torah, is to write a Sefer Torah. Every Jew is obligated to write a Sefer Torah. Is it every Jew? And how do you fulfill that mitzvah? And how do you fulfill it today? All not for now. But if you recall, we saw the beautiful and brilliant insight of Rabbi Salavechik that Torah is likened to a song because a song one immerses themselves in. You can hear a song in the year 2020 and all of a sudden you're back in in your summer camp in 1982. You're back on your college in the 1970s. You're back in your childhood, even far beyond. Song transports, you're immersed in it. It moves you. It has the ability to impact you more than what you read, more than, more than simply words or prose. And Torah is therefore likened to a song because we immerse ourselves. Torah doesn't speak just to the head, it speaks to the heart. Just like music doesn't just speak to the head, you don't analyze music in your brain, but rather you feel music in your kishkas. You ever, you ever see there's a, a song that comes on in the old days when people weren't so nervous and on edge? If you were in the supermarket or the store and a song with a great beat came on, you'd see people almost against their will dancing in the aisle. You'd see someone tapping their foot. You'd see someone moving to the beat. 
Song has the ability to, to move us in ways as if almost we don't have the ability to fight it. And that's what Torah, Torah should penetrate into our soul. It should move us. We are immersed in it. So Shir Shayom, the Karbanos, the word Karban means Karov. We come close to Hashem. And one of the mechanisms or means, one of the instruments to be able to come close to Hashem is to be accompanied by song. The Levium were given, were tasked with this great responsibility, with this very holy responsibility, that as the Karban was offered, as we were drawing close Karov, the song, the shir, was being offered. So the Gemara there in Rosh Hashanah talks about what was said, what was the text of the song, what was the liturgy that was offered with each of the Karbanos. Quotes Rabbi Yehud in the name of Rabbi Kiva, the first day of the week, Biyom Rishon, what did they say? Biyom Sheni, what did they say? Biyom on Shabbos Kodesh, what was the shir shoyom for Shabbos Kodesh? Now we know the shir shoyom is Moshul Yom HaShabbos, which is peculiar because the rest of the paragraph doesn't mention Shabbos whatsoever. Why is that the shir shoyom of Shabbos? Not for a partial class on Ha'azinu, but well worth investigating. The Shir Shayom of Shabbos doesn't have anything to do with Shabbos. It says Mizmor Shil Yom Shabbos, and that's the only mention of Shabbos. Why was that chosen? But the Musaf had an additional song. There was the Shir Shayom of the Talmud, the regular daily offering, but there was an additional song that would accompany the additional sacrifice of the Korban Musaf. And there the Gemara quotes of An Ben Rabbah, who said in the name of Rav, what was the song? It was Haziv Lach. Haziv Lach is a reference to Hazinu. Hazinu can be divided into six sections. It's a poem that can be divided into six units or six sections. And the acronym for those six sections is Haziv Lach. Uh, so the Gemara therefore says, Gemara Rosh Hashanah says, entertains the possibility that the Levium song for the Musaf was Hazinu. I share that with you to introduce our study of Hazinu to tell you Hazinu is so significant, so beautiful, so moving, so exciting that it wasn't only read once a year, but the Gemara entertains the possibility that it was read each and every week, each and every Shabbos. Now again, we don't, we don't paskin like that, and we don't incorporate it and read it that way, but it should nevertheless impress us just how significant and how important, how meaningful Ha'azinu is, and its connection to Shabbos. So what is that connection? If you look at Rashi, Rashi describes the beginning of Ha'azinu, and he tells us that Ha'azinu draws from the past, and the present, and the future. It's a peculiar song. It's a peculiar song. Because unlike most songs whose lyrics inspire, unlike most songs whose lyrics, not only are you moved by the melody, but the words themselves can open up your heart, Hazina's lyrics are harsh. They criticize, they even condemn. So who would want to sing a song whose lyrics include, this is from Hazinu, Halashem tigbeluzos am do you thus requite the Hashem, O dull and witless people? Is it not He, the Father, who created you, fashioned you, made you to endure? Yeshurin, the Jewish people, you grew fat and you kicked, you grew fat and gross and coarse. You forsook Hashem, you spurned, you violated the rock. The Ramban writes, the Ramban writes here that Hazinu is called Shira, Hazinu is called Song. Because Jews had to practice to read this text regularly a song. The Rambam, not only did the Gemara entertain it to be read each and every Shabbos, but the Rambam, in the seventh chapter of Hilchos Tefillah, the Rambam mentions a practice of saying Ha'azinu every day. We have parts of Torah we say every day. We say Shema every day. Some read the story of the Akedah every day. The Rambam in Hilchos Tefillah, Perak Zayin, Alacha Yegimel, says some of the practice of reading Ha'azinu every day. So again, I ask you, who would want to read a song which criticizes, which condemns 
a song that is so harsh. Why would we want to read a song or sing a song that tells us how dull and witless we are, how fat and coarse we grew, how gross we are to God? These are the lyrics that should inspire and move us. Why would we read it every day or every Shabbos or even want to read it, let alone each and every year? The Sifri, the Medrash Sifri, praises Ha'azinu, Rashi quotes, because it presents the past, the present, and the future, the time continuum. It puts the Jew in a context of history. The Ramban and Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar both write that all of Jewish history is encapsulated and incorporated. It is captured in part in Parsha Hazinu. When you read Hazinu, you are commemorating the past. It is inspiring and informing the present, and it is opening up the future. Hazinu begins on a positive note. It describes our special relationship with Hashem, and it ends on a positive note about achieving peace in the world a longing for the eschatological era of the time when everything will make sense, when we'll be able to put together the pieces, when we'll be able to just get along, when the Jewish people will not have to spend energy, time, and resources defending and protecting ourselves, but we can dedicate all of our time, energy, and resources exclusively to the service of Hashem, to repairing the world in His image, and to making the world a bigger and a better and a lighter place. So true in the middle, couched in between, the positive note at the beginning and the vision for the peace in the future at the end, in the middle there's negative. But here's the message of Hazinu. This is the first point I want to share with you this morning, and it's a point relevant not only to Hazinu, but to to this time in which we find ourselves couched between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. These are the days to prove our worth, to prove that we are essential staff, essential personnel, essential to the Almighty, essential to the people around us, essential to ourselves. Then maybe the message of Hazinu is, Whose life doesn't have positive? Maybe the beginning and the end, but whose life in the middle doesn't have some negative? Doesn't have some challenging moments and challenging times? Hazinu tells us, don't be focused in in a narrow way on that challenging time. Don't let the pandemic, don't let the quarantine or solitude, don't let the particular crisis, maybe in your life, in an individual's life, become the sum total of the way life is remembered, the way life is memorialized. It's not the sum total of our existence. Hazinu tells us, zoom out the lens. Focus on the big picture, on the whole story. See things in a context and as part of a continuum of history. And when you do, you'll dig deep and you'll find what's worth singing about. You're right, that moment is challenging. It's harsh. It's crisis. It's difficult. Collectively, we're all going through a difficult time. And individually, people are going through very difficult times related to this pandemic or unrelated. And if you focus on it, it becomes the sum total of your thinking. But you got to zoom out the lens and look at life. Look at how we got here, where we are, and please God, where we are going to go afterwards. That is our vision and that is our mission. And that is our role. We spoke about this in Parshas Kisava, the farmer who brings the Bikurim. The farmer doesn't just say, here you go, God. Here's my first fig. Take it. Here's my first palm. Take it. No, the farmer says, you know, my forefather in Egypt was almost vanquished, was almost just decimated. And yet we were taken out of Egypt and we wandered through the desert. And this farmer reviews Jewish history to get to this point. Because to be grateful means you're not zoomed in narrowly. To be grateful, you have to see context, continuum. You have to focus out and say, you know what? What a privilege, what an honor. How grateful we are to be here. You're right, this moment's challenging. You're right, this moment's difficult. You know, you could look at Shul and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and you could see what was missing. Or you could focus on what's there. You could say, I can't believe the people who can't qualify to be here, they're too vulnerable or fragile. It's too dangerous. You could look at the shul and say, 
Six feet, seven feet, eight foot separations. Look how many chairs are missing. Our main sanctuary normally holds over 700, and we're barely at 200, less than a third of our capacity. We don't hear the resounding singing. The walls are not reverberating. We're wearing masks. We can't even see or smile at one another. Or you could say, thank God what a miracle it is that we're here. How many times over the last few months did we say, I can't even picture being together Rosh Hashanah. I don't know how that could possibly happen. The choice is up to us what we look at. And this is not the classic half full or half empty. It's are we zoomed in or zoomed out? Are you narrowly defining and clouding all of your judgment? Are you filtering all of your perception through what that one moment or the capacity to zoom out that lens and to see the bigger picture to see the bigger picture of the miracle of being here and to be able to therefore have the courage and the tenacity and the faith to take us to where we're going that's the message perhaps of Hazinu. there's positive in the beginning and there's positive and a vision of the end and the middle there's negativity the middle is harsh and the middle is critical and the middle has crisis but whose life doesn't have both matzah and maror whose life doesn't have that combination and that mixture in it. It has both. And it's all a question of what we focus on. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu was telling us at the end of his life. Choose life. Choose to focus on the big picture, the good. Choose life all together. The Zohar calls the sukkah, the tzela de Nusa, the shadow of faith. When sitting in the sukkah, we're to feel that we are in the shade of divine providence. If you're in Florida, you're lucky if you have an air-conditioned sukkah, or if you're sitting in the shade, it still has a feeling of over 100 degrees. I understand from family in New York that it was in the 40s on Rosh Hashanah. It's amazing how we had diametrically opposed experiences, those who dive into outdoors in Florida, and those who dive into outdoors up north. But what does it mean, so that's sukkahs, and I know I'm jumping ahead, we have to get through Yom Kippur first, but I know sukkahs is described by the Zohar, the shadow, the shade of faith. Of Chaim Friedlander, the great Mashkiach of Panovich, and his sister Das writes, that we can achieve this by thinking of Hashem's hand in history. When you sit in that sukkah, if you narrowly focus on that moment, either I'm, I'm suffering from the heat, I'm tired from the, from the oppressive heat, or if you're up north and my memories of my childhood, how many jackets and how many blankets can you bundle in? Maybe I'm struggling and suffering and shivering from the cold. So where do you feel that you're in the shadow or shade of faith of Hashem? Says Rechaim Friedlander, on sukkahs the mission is zoom out the lens. As you sit in that sukkah, think not only about that moment. As you sit in that sukkah, think about what it took to get here. Do you have parents or grandparents who are survivors? How many didn't make it to sit in a sukkah? How many would give anything to be a little cold or a little hot? How many would give anything to be in shul in a mask, distance from others, Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur? Don't look at the moment. Look at the context of history and see Hashem's guiding hand. Hashem guided everything in the past, and He's guiding our present, and He is planning and orchestrating He's choreographing and curating our future. And when we sit in that sukkah under the protection of Hashem, the tale of the Memnusa, we reflect not only on that moment, but we reflect on our lives. And we consider where our family came from and where we are going. That's every Jewish holiday. The Shalash Regal, the word regel, like the word hergel, it comes to break up the hergel. Hergel means the habit, the rote. We become this momentum that we fall into. And our lives just are this runaway train. And we don't differentiate yesterday from today from tomorrow. And all we think about is the crisis or the discomfort of right now. And the, the regel, the regalim come and they break the hergel. They interrupt that momentum and they say, stop, stop and reflect and think about the miracle that is you and what your family endured, and what your story and family narrative are, how you got here, where you are, and where you're going. And that's Shabbos Ha'azinu. That is the parsha of Ha'azinu. That is Aseris Yimei Part of the process of personal 
growth and introspection, part of the process of a Sarasimei is to embrace the Ha'azinu of life, that there's positive, but there's also some negative mixed in. Begins and it ends wonderfully, but there's some challenging times in crisis. And when a person can do that, you can sing. Ha'azinu is a song that moves you. When your life is a song, when you hear the music, no matter what's going on, no matter what's going on. And the Baal Shem Tov described Amuna is like that. Baal Shem Tov said, the people who have Amuna, it's like they hear the music and they're dancing to it. And sometimes there are people that, what are you dancing about? It's dead quiet in here. What are you dancing to? You look like a fool. You say, no, no, you just don't hear the music. I hear the music. You know, there's, um, there's a new fad. There was at Simcha's when we still went to them. Please God, it'll come again. Bar and Bas Mitzvahs and so on. They have uh, silent DJs, I think they're called. Silent DJs. You're all giving me blank looks. You have no idea what I'm talking about. What's a silent DJ? Again, who would ever think of this? Certainly I didn't. You know what a silent DJ is? It's that the kids on the dance floor wear headphones and the DJ is playing different music through different headphones and it's fun for the kids because they look like fools. This one's dancing to fast music and this one's dancing to slow Jewish music and they're dancing at different rates and different rhythms and they're having a lot of fun because they all look hilarious to one another and the best part is that the adults sitting on the side don't have hearing loss when it's over because the kids are listening to all that music on headphones and you get to enjoy. So if you walk into that room and you look at that dance floor, you also burst out with laughter. The silent DJ, the kids are all dancing and you're saying, what are they dancing about? Where's the music? It's silence, but they hear the music. Bashem Tov said, that's Amuna. When you see Hashem's guiding hand in our lives, when you see Hashem's guiding history, when you understand there's no random and chance it's all from above, then you hear the music. They sing the Shira, Hazino. Then you're dancing through life because you see, you're able to connect those dots. You're able to step back and see the big picture and not just focus on the little dots. It's not a blur, it comes into focus. When it comes into focus, you can't help but sing. We sing in Bishalach Parshas, we sing Shabashira, and we sing in Hazinu the song of the song of Shira. The Lubavitcher Rebbe Zatzal in his Likutei Sichos also talks about the significance of Hazinu. This is all by way of introduction, by the way. We're going to get to the Shira momentarily. I still have a Shabashuva drasha to prepare. Koshiras Hazinu he writes Nikba b'Parsha Achas Perak Echad. All of Hazinu appears in one Perak. The song of Hazinu appears in one Perak. The whole song, the Shira of Hazinu, is in Perak Lamed Beis which is not a coincidence, because Perak Lamed Beis alludes to and is a hint to the totality of the whole Torah. The Torah begins with the letter Beis. What's the first word of the Torah? Bracious. Torah begins with the letter Beis. And the Torah ends with the letter Lamed. What's the, what are the last words of Torah? Yisrael. We're going to make a Siyam on Torah soon. It begins with Beis and ends with Lamed, which is Lev, the heart. Says the Lubavitcher Rebbe, just like the heart keeps the body alive, our very definition, it's a machlokas, how do you define death, brain death, or the cessation of automated respiratory, how you define death is, of course, a tremendously halachically complicated and controversial topic. Not for now. But one opinion is that halacha defines life and death by heartbeat. If your heart is beating, can beat uh, spontaneously, then you are alive. If your heart can no longer beat on its own, then you are dead. The heart is the definition of life. Hadam hu nefesh, the blood flow through the veins that is pumped by the heart. Hadam hu nefesh, that is the definition of life. So just like the lave, just like a person is only as healthy as their heart, the heart defines the health of the body, so too Torah defines the health of the neshama. And what is the heart of Torah? 
Hazinu. So the Rebbe says, all of Shiras Hazinu is in Perak Lamed Beis, Lev, because Shiras Hazinu, the song of Hazinu, is the heart, it is the health of the whole Torah and of the whole of the whole Neshama. Okay, very good. Let's start now. So Perak Lamed Beis, we just said, the whole thing is in Perak Lamed Beis. Pasuk Aleph. Hazinu HaShamayim Va'adabeira V'sishma Ha'aretz Imrefi. Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rosh Weinberger, loves to quote, Lubavitcher Rebbe say, Ha'azinu HaShamayim Va'adabeira. We're not going to spend time on this, but why the shift from the word Ha'azinu, give ear, to V'tishma, and listen. Ha'azinu, like the Ozen, Oznayim, hear, and Tishma, Shomea, to listen. Why the shift? What's the difference between the words? One is harsh and one is soft. Why do we use one word to talk about Shemaim and another word describes Aretz? There's countless uh, commentary on each of these psukim, but on that. But Hazinu HaShemaim, speak to the heavens, give ear heavens and I will speak, and may the earth hear the words of my mouth. So the Rebbe say, do you know how Aretz, Aretz represents the physical body, the guf, here we are on earth, distracted by all the earthly things. That's what we're doing tshuva for, what these Asarasimei tshuva are all about. We are reflecting on our lives this battle that rages in us. Am I the godly soul? Am I the animal instinct and impulse? Do I give in to my urge and appetite to look at the wrong thing, eat the right, the wrong thing, go to the wrong place, be lazy and procrastinate? Or am I disciplined and dignified? Do I reign supreme and sovereign over my life? Am I in charge and am I in control? That is the battle within man generic man, the battle within us of heaven and earth. Heaven is the brain. Heaven is the head. Heaven is the neshama. Heaven is the yearning, the spirituality, what we reach for. And the earth, the earthliness is what we're drawn to. I've shared many times, but it's worth sharing again. The human being is the only that stands on two feet. Why? The animal walks on all four because the animal faces the earth. Because the animal is defined by the here and now. Behema, Ba, ma. What you see is what you get. The animal is the here and now. The animal is drawn to the earth. The animal has an appetite, an impulse, an animal instinct. The animal does what it wants, with whom it wants, where it wants, when it wants, and so on. The human being, we don't face the earth. We are not defined as a behemoth. Ba, ma. We are an Adam. In Adam and Ha'adama, we have the capacity to grow. We are a rich soil that's all about growth. So what is the human being? We stand on two feet. Why? Because we face the heavens. We reach for the heavens. We stretch for the heavens. We're trying to grow. We're trying to be bigger, better, greater. We're trying to be our best selves. Not Bama, what you see is what you get, but Adam. We're constantly on this journey, this path towards growing. We're not standing still. Vayelech, lech lecha. We're halacha. We're constantly in movement. We're growing, we're doing, we're trying to be better. So hazinu shamayim. We have to speak to the neshama in us. We have to speak to the Shemayim in us. We have to listen to those who speak, like Rav Moshe Weinberger, who speak to the Shemayim in us, not just the Aretz in us. Don't just listen to that which talks to the earthliness in us, that talks to the here and now, the physical in us, but stretch and reach and strive for the Shemayim, for the heavenly, for the spiritual in us. Hazinu HaShemayim V'adabeira V'sishma Aretz Imrei Fi. Rabbi Soloveitchik says on these words, Hazinu in the Rav Oyuchumash, he says, why does Moshe invoke heaven and earth to witness the covenant he made with the Jewish people? Here, Moshe is reminding the people, there's a promise, there's a pledge, there's a covenant, there's a responsibility, there's a contract. And who are the witnesses to this contract? You didn't call in two witnesses. You didn't have to get uh, notaries. Who are the witnesses? None other, says the Pasuk, says Moshe, then heaven and earth. Why does Moshe invoke heaven and earth? So Rashi cites the Medrash, which explains that the heavens asked the Jewish people, have you ever seen the sun rising in the west and setting in the east? Have you ever planted wheat and reaped corn? What's the message? What's Rashi saying? Nature abides strictly by the laws that were implanted in it. 
By following the laws of physics, chemistry, and biology, the world follows God's laws. No one dares violate the dynamics of the cosmos, as represented by the heaven and earth. His primordial will created and regulates all of creation, both organic and inorganic matter, intelligent beings as well as the beast. Nature behaves in accordance with regulated patterns, a behavior which attests to his absolute sovereignty. Yet, yet, as far as the moral law is concerned, Hashem's sovereignty is not universally accepted. Man tries to divine his own moral code and decide on his own what is good and evil. The vision of the Malchio section of the Rosh Hashanah liturgy expresses our belief that man will ultimately accept his moral law in the same way that he now acknowledges the natural law. The description, the liturgy of both Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Malchus in particular, it depicts and describes a time where it's not only science which becomes immutable. It's not only physics, biology, and chemistry which are non-debatable. Nobody today is going to debate that the earth is round or that gravity is a pull. Those are immutable. They're facts. Nature has facts. They are simply uh, rules with which the world operates. And that's Shemayim V'aretz. Heaven and earth are the symbol of nature. And just like nature is immutable, it's not debatable, nature is entirely obedient and compliant. Whatever God programmed and designed into nature, nature now does, so too we are supposed to be like nature. You know, we say in Kiddush Levana, Shiloh Yishanu is Tafkidam. Kiddush Levana, we look up at that moon and we celebrate the rebirth, the renewal of the moon, and we think about the moon and the sun and the stars, the constellation, the cosmos, and we acknowledge and we say, we're not, God forbid, worshipping the moon. In fact, many have the custom to turn around and have their back to the moon when we say the bracha of Kiddush Levana in order to ensure that no one will have the misimpression that we're worshipping the moon. So why do we say Kiddush Levana? In the text of the bracha of Kiddush Levana, Shiloh Yishanu is Tafkidam. You say the moon, the sun, it never changes. It does what it's supposed to do when it's supposed to do it. We have a monthly sunrise minion at the beach. We've not yet resumed it. Amir Tzashem soon. Monthly, we go to the beach. If we take Palmetto Park Road all the way east, you get to the end, there's a gazebo. We meet at the gazebo. We have a beautiful, beautiful minion literally overlooking the ocean. And whatever time it's set on the calendar, whatever it's set on the cover of the newspaper, on maizmanim.com, whatever time it says the sun is supposed to ride, punked right then. It's amazing. Say the bracha, Ga'al Yisrael, silence comes over the gazebo, you look out over the ocean, and there it is, the top of the sun pokes through. It's magnificent to see. It's really, really amazing. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And there it is. And every time that we have our monthly sunrise minion, our Nate's minion, Hanate's minion at the beach, I'm always amazed. Shiloh Yishanu has tafkidam. I can look at what time sunrise is in a thousand years from now, and you know what? The sun by then won't say... I was lazy. I needed a day off. I needed to sleep in. I was my cat. My my whole schedule was thrown off. There was a pandemic. Whatever time it says the sun is supposed to rise, pumped. There it is. No excuses. No cop out. No rationalizations. No justifications. No blame. There it is. Shiloh Yishanu es tafkidam. It does what it's meant to do. Says the Rav Hazinu Hashemayim va'adabera. Why is Moshe invoking the image of heaven and earth? in order to be the witnesses testifying to this covenant, this promise, because we are to uphold our moral promise to Hashem. We, the Jewish people, collectively and individually, are supposed to be role models and examples to the world of what it means to live a moral and ethical life. And you know, just like science, nature, chemistry, biology, and physics, they don't make excuses, punct, whatever they're supposed to do, they do. There are rules, they're immutable, they behave, they're not debatable, they don't change so to the moral and ethical laws of Hashem, they should be non-negotiable. We can't change them. We can't deviate from them. 
we should we should fulfill them the exact way that they were that they were dictated, just as nature and science fulfills exactly what it was meant to do as well. Okay, next pasuk base. Yarov kamatar lekri tizal katal imrasi kisirim alay desha vechirvivim alay esav. We don't study hazinu. Again, timing-wise, it rarely falls out that we can study it together in the Parsha class. But most people, I think, it's a pretty busy time of the year. Hopefully you do Yishnai Mikra V'echad Targum. But unlike the narrative sections of Torah, of Chumash, which are exciting, Hazin is very tough. As I said, the Hebrew and the poetry, it's unusual. It's a departure from what we're used to in terms of the style. Yarov kamatar lichi. May my teaching drop like rain. Tizal katal imrasi. My utterance flow like dew, like tal. Kisirim ale desha, like storm winds on vegetation, chirvivim ale esiv, and like raindrops on blades of grass. What does this mean? What is this telling us? Rav Simcha Bunim, why is Torah likened? Torah and teachings are likened to rain and to dew. Why? What does that mean? Says Rav Simcha Bunim, the tzaddik Rav Simcha Bunim of Pshischa. He says, when rain or, or dew fall on a garden, so you don't see the impact right away. I mentioned uh, re- recently that this summer, at the end of the summer, one of my daughters and I planted a garden. We've been talking about it for a long time. And again, one of the beauties of the pandemic gives us opportunity and windows into time and things that we heretofore have not done. So we went to Home Depot and we said, talk to us like we have no idea what we're doing. And they did because we have no idea what we're doing. And we got tomatoes, cherry tomatoes, and we got red peppers and we got basil and we got peppermint, and we got, I don't remember what else, and we dug up the grass, and we spread out the soil, and we planted. And we're having an enormously fun time every day we go out there. And it's an amazing thing. If you look daily, you can't see any growth. First of all, the, the best gardener in the world, who is our partner, is of course Hashem, who makes it rain every day and waters our garden, without which it would probably dry up, because um, we're not that good. So Hashem is a great partner, deserves acknowledgement. So here's the amazing thing that she's learning that I'm learning. If you look every day, you don't see the tomato vines growing, you can't see any growth. But what she's having fun doing is she takes pictures. And if you compare the picture from 10 days ago to the picture today, side by side, all of a sudden you say, wow, it grew significantly. It's budding, it's on its way. We're gonna eat tomatoes one day from these vines. So the Reb Simcha Pshischa says that why is the Torah likening, the teaching of Torah to vegetation, like rain on the garden, like uh, dew on the vegetables. Why are we likening? The same way. The teaching of Torah. You can't necessarily measure the growth in real time. You don't see within your children or your students or even within ourselves. You don't necessarily see the results in real time. But the same way when you water a garden, you can't see it in real time. But if you look over time, it's undeniable the growth. The same is true with the impact of Torah. If you allow Torah, the image of a bikiva, the drip, if you allow Torah to drip, 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 if you allow Torah to fall like rain, to rest like, to rest like dew, then over time, undeniably, you will see that breakthrough, you will see that growth, you will see that impact. It happens over, it happens over time. Revolba, Shlomo Bava has another insight onto this Pasuk. So again, Yarov Kamatal Lechi, may Torah drip like rain. Revolba quotes his Rebbe, Rabbi Yerucham, Rabbi Yerucham Levavitz of the Mir. So Revolba quotes his Rebbe, Rabbi Yerucham, who explained the Pasuk, why are we comparing Torah to rain? And he has a different insight, different than, than the Tzaddik of Simcha Bunim. He says the following, Rain dampens the soil, and it creates fertile ground. The rain is helpful, 
you would have hard earth. The rain dampens, makes moist, it makes the soil more um, available to place seeds in order for them to grow. But the growth of the plant or of the vegetable, of the vegetation, comes not from the rain. You need the rain. But where does it come from? If you want to eat that tomato, if you want to eat that red pepper, if you want to put that basil in your soup, how is it going to grow? Where does it come from? It comes from inside the seed itself. So although Torah prepares and cultivates a person to grow, Torah is like rain. It waters us, it cultivates us, it prepares us, it nourishes us, it nurtures us. But the growth has to be like a seed. The growth has to come, says Rav Yerucham, from inside ourselves. Such an important insight. Because people wonder and they wait. Say, I don't understand, that person learns Torah. These children get that Jewish education. Why aren't, why aren't they mentioned? Why don't they behave? Why aren't they moral? Why aren't they ethical? It's very disturbing. It's very frustrating. And it's caused many people to go off the derech. The people who learn Torah but don't live Torah. Why is there that break? Why is there that barrier? So Rav Yerucham is explaining. Yarov kamatar lechi, Torah is likened to rain. Rain and dew, they nurture and they nourish. They can make it fertile for growth, but they can't produce the fruit. Only what's inside that seed has to come out. And the same is true with us. We have an ashama inside ourselves. We have potential. We have the life that we're capable of. We have the impact. We have the mission that we're meant to live. And Torah is like the rain. The Torah nourishes and it nurtures. The Torah makes us fertile soil for growth. But like the seed, it has to come from inside ourselves. Rabbi Yerucham quotes Rabbeinu Yonah. In Shari Tshuva, in Perak Beis, Rabbeinu Yonah writes, quote, If a person does not arouse himself, what will Musr help? Rabbeinu Yonah says, Musr is beautiful. Musr is like rain. Torah is like rain. But if you don't wake yourself up, if you don't get yourself going, if you don't decide in your own heart that you're ready to finally break through, that you're going to start changing your life, you're going to become more patient and less envious and jealous and slower to anger, that you're going to learn more, daven better, you're going to make brachas, you're going to be more grateful, more appreciative, more honest, have more integrity. If you don't decide to wake up and change your life, you could have the greatest rabbi, the greatest friends, you can listen to the best classes, you can attend the best seminar, you can hire the best trainer, the best chef, the best coach, the best manager. You can take care of all the things outside yourself. You could even sit and study Torah all day long like rain. All those things can help, but it has to come from inside ourselves. Says Rabbeinu Yonah, if you don't wake yourself up, then Musr cannot help. And Revolba quotes this Rabbeinu Yonah and Rabbi Yocham, and Revolba elaborates. And he says you could listen to endless Musr Shmuzim. But if you don't decide at the end that you want to grow and you want to break through, then no change, then nothing is measurable is going to happen. And says Revolba, we could take the same observation about Sukkot. Sukkot has the potential to be one of the most spiritually uplifting times of the year. Are we going to sit in the Ananiya Kavod? And I'm giving some Sukkot Debrei Torah. It's wishful thinking, but we've got to get through Yom Kippur first. We could sit through the Ananiya Kavod, surrounded by Hashem's Hashkacha, rejoicing in forgiveness and mitzvah Hashem that we're going to earn on Yom Kippur. Sukkot and the rest of the Yom Noraim, Tishrei, end with Simchas Torah, with the joy. And what we say is, Torah, you are the rain, you nourish and you nurture us, but we celebrate that we broke through from within, from within ourselves. So two different insights into why, into why Yarov Kamatar Lakhi, why is the study of Torah likened to the falling of rain or dew? Who says, because you don't see the growth in real time, it takes time, but over time, if you measure side by side, you'll see that there's enormous growth and enormous breakthrough. That's a very powerful lesson for parents, for teachers, for educators, excuse me, for us to be patient. Be patient. You won't see it right now, but it'll happen. It'll happen. I always admire my colleagues and my dear friends, educators, 
who have a child in their class and they don't necessarily see the breakthrough because that child it doesn't grow or break through till years later. They don't get the nachas immediately, but it's over time. There's a famous kotzker. We say in Shema Alevavecha. We put the Torah. What do you mean Alevavecha on our heart? We should put it Bilvavecha in your heart. Why is it Alevavecha? It's a very famous kotzker. He says because our job is to put the Torah on top of the heart. Just leave it there, and you never know when the heart will break, when the heart will open up and it'll seep in. Leave it there. Put it there. Teach, model, communicate, inspire. Place the Torah there. And you never know when the shell of the, of the Torah will dissolve. You never know when the heart will get a crack. You never know when the heart will open up. And the the Torah will seep in. For ourselves, keep putting it there, keep putting it there. You never know when you're going to break open. Or for our children, or for others, we never know when that breakthrough will happen. Next pasuk. The deeds of Hashem, that Hashem is likened here, Hatsur, to a rock, a mighty rock. Tamim, the deeds of the rock are perfect. Hashem is pure justice. Kel Emunah, He is the God, a faithful God. Ein Avel, there's no injustice. Tzadik v'yasharhu, He is righteous and He is upright. It's a very important Pasuk. We say this Pasuk, Hatsur Tamim Pa'alau, forms the core, it's the basis, it's the first part of Tzidduk din. At a funeral, lo aleinu. At the end of the funeral, either the mourners themselves or the, the rabbi who's officiating on behalf of the mourners, recites what's called Tzidduk din. Tzidduk din is the acceptance of divine judgment, divine justice. Meaning, just like when a person hears that there's a, a loved one that's lost, they say, Baruch Dayan HaMS, blessed is the, the true judge. That's a very succinct articulation of accepting Hashem, that it comes from Him even when it's difficult to accept. The longer version is Tzidukadin. It's a long, long paragraph. And it starts with these words, Hatsur Tamim Pa'alo, Hatsur. We call Hashem here a rock. It's very interesting. Earlier in the whole Torah, the word Tzur barely appears. We don't call God a Tzur. And here in this section alone, Tzur appears five times. Five times. Hatsur Tamim Pa'alo, Kichol Durechad Mishpat. And then we go on, we call Him Tzur, no less than five times. What is the significance of calling God a rock? What is the significance of the reference to calling God a rock? So Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar has two interpretations which are very interesting. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, however you pronounce his name, the great Spanish commentator, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says the following. He says, number one, Moshe Rabbeinu at the end of his life, you have to understand, for Moshe Rabbeinu, he's not, he is 120, but he's not on his deathbed looking back and saying, I lived a good life and a peaceful life and I realized all my dreams and I fulfilled everything I wanted, all of my hopes and wishes. Moshe Rabbeinu is escorting the people, they are on the cusp of entering the land. They, the people, are about to fulfill his dream and he is going to meet his ends. It's a very frustrating, very difficult, very painful for him to accept that he got so close and yet he can't get in. And yet here he calls Hashem Hatsur. Says Rabbeinu Bach, that should not be lost on you, that he's giving him the name for Hashem of Hatsur, the rock. Why is that significant? Because why is it that Moshe can't go into Israel? It's a brilliant insight, Rabbeinu Bach. Why is it that Moshe can't go into Israel? The punishment, the consequence for Meimariva, the punishment and the consequence for the fact that Moshe hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. So within his own acknowledgement at the end of his life, within his own praise of Hashem, he is invoking the image of his own mistake. When he's describing that God, he's tamim, he's pure. 
mishpat. He's just einavel. There's no injustice. He is basically saying to the people in a in a hinted way. He's alluding to the people b'derech remiza in a very nuanced way. He's saying, you know, God is just. There's no injustice. I so badly want to go in, but he's right. Hatsur. He the rock is just in punishing me because I hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Isn't that geschmack? You should all be smiling. You should all be enjoying that much, much better. It's geschmack. <coughs> Not corona, just a sneeze. It's an incredible insight. Hatsur, at the end of his life, when he should be resentful, bitter. I saw some of you like moving away from the camera. Don't worry, it can't go through Zoom. It doesn't come through YouTube, the sneeze. And it's not, it's not corona, it's just a sneeze. It's just lack of sleep and fasting and a lot of speaking. Hatsur, at the end of Moshe's life, he is Hatsur. He's praising Hashem. It's not a lukewarm praise. It's not a bittersweet praise. It is a wholehearted, full-fledged sneeze, sneeze, praise to Hashem. It is a full praise. Hatsur, Hashem, you, in the very statement, in the very affirmation that Hashem stands for justice, he recognizes Hashem as Tzur. He is, in fact, invoking his own failure. He's invoking his own shortcoming when he's referencing that Hashem is Kulo just. He is entirely just. There is no injustice. That's number one. Number two, he is invoking Hashem as Hashem as the Creator. Hashem, you are the Creator. And you mold and shape the world. And everything is from you. How is he invoking that in the word Tzur, says Rabbeinu Bachya? The word Tzur includes like Yatsar. Hashem created Vayitzar Hashem Elokim. created. In Tefillah's Chana, she says, Ein Sur Kelokeinu. There's no rock like God. To which Chazal understand, not Ein Sur Kelokeinu, but Ein Tsayar Kelokeinu. There is no artist like God. Ein Sur Kelokeinu, Ein Tsayar Kelokeinu. What a beautiful insight. When I had the great honor and privilege to go to Montana, to Glacier National Park, and I went to the Swiss Alps, in both of those places, all I could think about was that Chazal. Ain't sur kelokeinu, there's no rock like God. Ain't sayar kelokeinu. Give man all the time in the world, you can't create Glacier National Park. All the technology in the world, you can't create the Swiss Alps. He, there's no greater artist. He's the greatest artist of all time. Ain't sayar kelokeinu. And our lives, the tapestry upon which he paints our lives. He is the artist who is painting our lives. And that's Moshe Rabbeinu's acknowledgement to Hashem. That Hashem, you created, you you were Yotzer, Yotzer HaMeoros, Asher Yatsar. You are the Yotzer, you are the Tsur, you are the rock, steadfast, reliable, dependable, predictable. You are the rock, and you are also the Yotzer, the Tsayar. You are the artist, and you are the creator. And Moshe Rabbeinu is invoking all of that over here. I want to quote an insight from Rav Druk, Rav Yisrael Meir Druk. Rav Druk says the following. He asked a question. The Pasuk says, Ein Avel. Hashem, you're only just, I would say with you, by you. They would say by you, but that's not English. By you, Hashem, with you, Hashem, in reference to you, Hashem, Ein Avel. There is no injustice. What are you bringing up? So Rashi there says, Ein Avel. Even with the wicked, he is giving them their reward in this world. He is saving their punishment for the future world. Says Rav Druk, One of the ways we're praising Hashem, one of the ways that Moshe is praising Hashem is, there's no injustice. How bizarre, how strange. What praise is it to tell God there's no injustice? David HaMelech says the same thing. 
You remember it from our davening Friday night. To tell that Hashem is Yashari straight. Tsuri, he's my rock. This is David Amalek's play on words of Moshe Rabbeinu. It has the same words. Tsur and Velo Avlasabo Ein Avel. What kind of praise is it for Hashem to say, And Hashem, you're not corrupt. You're not on the take. There's no bribing you. There's no injustice with you. That's a praise for the Almighty, the Omnipotent, the Infinite God, that there's no injustice with you. It's a bizarre type of a praise. Bizarre praise. So Rav Druk quotes the Gra. Some say in the name of Yisrael Salanter. The following. He gives the following metaphor. If a person, somebody was accused of a crime and they're brought before the judge for sentencing, for ruling, for justice. So what's going to happen? The uh, judge is going to listen and the judge is going to have a hearing and join and the judge is going to, um, is going to rule based on the merits of the person who comes before him. Tomorrow night at Mahanda Bima, we're having a federal judge, Judge Al Hellerstein. Very excited to hear his take about Supreme Court justice and what it's like to be a judge, how his Judaism impacts his justice, and give us some good hints how to come before the judge of judges as a, as a judge himself. So when a person comes before a judge, the judge is listening on the merits of that person, on the merits of that person themselves. Whether they're guilty, whether they're innocent, whether they have virtue, or whether they, in fact, deserve to have the book thrown at them. So what does the lawyer for that accused do? They say, no, 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 listen. Listen to the family of the accused. And the family come and they say, this person is so essential to me, and I love them, and what they've done for me, and how they transform me. And you cannot punish them, because if you punish them, you're punishing me. You're punishing me. And then the rabbi comes, and the recipients of the tzedakah come, and the friends come, and the organizations come, and the chavar kadisha comes and says, judge, you can't put this person in jail, because he does the best taharas. He gives them a staka. He's the Gabay the minion. He's the one who cleans up the Sidurim and the Chumashim. He's the one who puts out the food for Shalashiris. If you punish him, you're punishing all of us. One by one, the way you appeal to the judge is by saying, you're not just going to punish the person, you're going to punish all of us. So what happens? What happens? It would turn out that punishing the person is in fact punishing others who are undeserving of punishment. Undeserving of punishment. That's a complicating factor for a judge who has to determine what the right thing is to do. Hashem is different. Hashem is able to punish the person who deserves to be punished. His justice and his punishment, his punitive system are pure. He's able to hone in and punish just the person who deserves it without a residual or without any other uh, collateral damage to anyone who's undeserving. And that's what we say, that's the pshat, says the gra, Hatsur tamim mishpat, all of Hashem ways are mishpat. El avel, there's no injustice. It's not that to do justice for A becomes an injustice for B. Hashem is able to work it all out and coordinate it all. For Him there is pure justice and there is no injustice when it comes to anybody else. Says Rav Druk, based on this, Maybe we understand the Mishnah, acquire for yourself a friend. Says Rav Druk, if you have a lot of good friends, if you have a lot of people who rely on you, if you become essential personnel, not non-essential personnel, the whole world today is talking about essential versus non-essential. 
We've been talking about it forever, the Jewish people. The world is catching up. Essential versus non-essential. If you make and position yourself to be essential, you matter, you make a difference to others, then the judge of judges will have to rule in your favor. Because if he would eliminate you, he'd be punishing not only you, but other people. The more chaverim you have, therefore the more you matter in this world, therefore the more Hashem will have to rule favorably. If you saw Salanter said, he doesn't quote this here, uh, Ravoba quotes it, Nale Shur, that we should position ourselves to be somebody, Ish Shaharabim Tzrichim Lo, that the answer, the secret to persevering, to succeeding on Yom Adin, Yemei Adin, on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur, to walk out on Yom Kippur and to be sealed for a year of goodness, is to be a person Shaharabim Tzrichim Lo. Don't be egotistical, narcissistic, self-centered, don't be in it for yourself. Be a person Shaharabim Tzrichim Lo. Don't just be a person who makes Shabbos for yourself. Don't make Yom Kippur for yourself. Well, my backyard, my minion, my kiddush, my, I don't want to wear a mask, I this. Be a community member. Be a community player. Care about the people. Volunteer and show up. Be a Gabai. Be a Baltfila. Give a little extra tzedakah to help the people who can't afford. All again in a safe way. Not talking about asking anyone to do anything that's unsafe. All in a safe way. But be a person. Because Rabbi Shal Salantar says, when Yom Adin comes, when Yom Kippur comes, if you're in it for yourself, your comfort, your convenience yourself, Hashem says, bring me his file. Bring me her file. Let me look at them as themselves. Are they worthy? But if you're a person, if you're if you're a person who's positioned yourself that others rely on you, you're essential, Hashem doesn't just look at your file. He looks at all the letters that came in from all over that say, don't punish this person. We need them. We rely on them. Don't ever, don't uh, compromise them. Don't limit them. We need them. We need them. Don't hold them back whatsoever. We need them. And he goes on. He has a much more beautiful insight into this uh, Rav Druk. Okay. Next. Pasuk says, Zuchor Yemos Olam, Binu Dor Vador, Pasuk Zayin. Perek Lamed Beis, Pasuk Zayin. Zuchor Yemos Olam, Binu Shnos Dor Vador, Sha'avicha V'yagedcha, Zekeinecha V'yomru Lach. Remember the days of old. Reflect upon the years of other generations. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will inform you. This is the source of the value of Jewish history. We have, I once gave a whole shir about studying Jewish history. We don't make a birchas Torah on studying Jewish history. It's not that studying Jewish history has the value of Torah, but there is a significant Jewish value to studying history, to knowing where we come from. Zechor yemos olam, to remember our history, to know where we come from, so we're not doomed to repeat it, so we can learn the lessons of it, and so on. Rabbi Salavitchik writes here on this Pasuk, Recognition of Hashem's presence and absence at certain moments leads to a proper interpretation of events, both in the lives of individuals and in the life of community. To read history properly and to interpret it in the light of Hashem's absence or presence is a prime duty of the Jew. It's implied by the Ramban's doctrine of Masa Avosim and Labanim. The events involving the fathers are signs for the descendants. When we study Chumash, what is it? What is Tanakh if not the study of history? Zuchor Yimos Olam. So our, our reflections on the past don't end when Tanakh closes. Zechor Yimos Olam. We become collective students of history because there is no history. You know, Rabbi Sachs, Chief Rabbi Lord Sachs, on, uh, in his Haggadah has an essay where he talks about other study history. History is his story. We have memory. Memory starts with me. We're not studying someone else's story. History, his story. For us, it's all part of our active memory. Maisa of Simon Lebanim is my memory, me, my ancestors. We went through it. Man must have an excellent ear in order to hear the footsteps of Hashem who walks in the garden of human history. 
we must beware of the danger that like Adam and Chava, mankind will purposefully try to escape reality and hide upon hearing the footsteps of Hashem. Otherwise, man will descend to the level of Adam's contemporaries who could not hear the call, who could not even recognize could not even recognize Hashem. In this Pasuk is the value of studying history as a religious experience, not memorizing a bunch of facts, names, places, and dates. We study history as a religious experience on the mission to uncover and discover Hashem's guiding hand through that history because then it transforms it from history to memory, his to me. It informs my present and it guides my very future. Perak Lamed Beis, Pasuk Yud Beis, moving right along, flying up to Shlishi. Almost up to Shlishi. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem badad yanchenu ve'ein imo el nechar. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem guided them alone and there was no alien deity with him. Ein imo el nechar. No foreign god. Hashem badad. You can imagine this word jumped off the page to me this year particularly. What's it called in Israel if you are in quarantine? You are in bidud. Badad. We spoke about this on Tisha B'av night where we said it's not normal. This isn't normal. It's not normal. Echa yashva badad. That is exactly what the Navi was bemoaning. This isn't normal. And what we're still going through is not normal. And we should never become adjusted. We have to remain maladjusted. This can never become normal. So that word badad, which means quarantine, alone, loneliness, Echa yashva badad was, was the lamenting, history, lamentation. And here Hashem badad yanchenu. Hashem guided them alone. Hashem guided them alone. So here the Imre Chaim, you didn't think we weren't going to have an Imre Chaim. The Imre Chaim, the Imre Chaim, the great vision of the Rebbe says the following. Hashem badad yanchenu. Yadua she'odum she'oved Hashem isbarach behizbodedus, belodibok haverim. If you try to worship Hashem alone, by yourself, you're not going to connect with friends, you're not part of community, you are badad, my backyard, my minion, myself, my kiddush, I make Shabbos for myself. I don't care about the greater world. You cannot come to the level of Avas Hashem. If you're trying to serve and worship Hashem and experience your Judaism, Badad, by yourself, alone, isolated from others, withdrawn, distracted, below Diba Kaverim, you can't achieve it. I am a pair of Mishnah Rambam, Avas Hashem, Mava Bachana, Rabbas, Lakim, Asim, the Yerah, Mava, Lishmir, Salavan. Alkan, a Kasa, Omer Hashem, Badad, Yanchenu. Misha Ovid Hashem is Borah Bibdidus. If you serve Hashem in loneliness, distanced, by choice, the only level that you can reach if you try to serve God by yourself is you won't be a pagan, you won't be an idolater, you won't worship a false God. That's the only level you can get to. Like the next Pasuk, keep going. He made them ride upon the high places of earth. They would eat the produce of the field, which are Rashi Tevos, Yididim. It's an acronym for Yididim, with friends, not Badad, but with Yididim. In Mishaber, B'Tzavsim, Avim, Ne'amanim, Ovdei Hashem, then Ve'yochal Tenuva Sadai. Then you'll eat from the good, from the pleasant, from the fruit, from the succulent, delicious fruit of this world. So the Merechaim says in this Pasuk is the contrast. Hashem Badad. Are you going to serve Hashem Badad? You'll only get to the level of El Nechar, that you're not going to have a, a false God. But if you want to be able to achieve the level of eating from the delicious fruit of this world, then Yedidus, you have to serve Hashem Yedidim, you have to serve Hashem with others, connected, community, caring, being part of something so much bigger, so much bigger than ourselves. 
Okay, last thought. Last thought. Parak Lamed Bey's Pasuk Memtes. Let's get to the end of the Shira. Lamed Bey's Memtes. It's in the Yard Scroll Stone. Chumash, page 1110. He said, Go climb this mountain. Go see the land that I'm giving others. And die on the mountain that you're going to go on to. And you'll be gathered to your people. Just like Aaron died and he was gathered to his people. First of all, this is so cruel. So cruel. There's one question. Why would God, why would God do this cruelty? Moshe, go climb the mountain and give a kick. Give a look. You're not going in. Instead, you see that mountain over there? I want you to go up there and drop dead. Hashem tells Moshe, literally, go drop dead. Since when can you command someone to drop dead? That's the question of the Eshtamid of Rav Druk. Go die on that mountain? How could you command someone to die? Suicide is prohibited. Kush Baruch is, of course, not God forbid telling Moshe go commit suicide. What does he mean, go die? So the Ibn Ezra says, it doesn't mean go die. It means, Go prepare yourself for death. Go prepare to meet your maker. Go and say vidui. Go and do all that's necessary to prepare for the Jewish way to die. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, in fact, because you cannot instruct somebody to do it, this is an illusion to know this is not in your power. You can't delay it, you're not in charge of it, you can't make it happen. It is something that exclusively belongs in the realm of Hashem. Hashem alone is the one who who uh, controls it. Is the one who controls it. The Svarna says, Umus bahar kapara. He says, Umus means know that this is going to be your final kapara. This is what's going to be what transforms you. This is going to be what elevates you. But I want to leave it with a question for you. In these very parshios in which Moshe is describing the process and the power of tshuva, why does he not have tshuva? Why does Hashem tell us in the very parshios in which Moshe is describing our ability to repair, to come back, to correct, to fix, everyone has a second chance except Moshe. Instead, Hashem says, go on that mountain and die. And go on that mountain and die. Is tshuva possible for everyone? Is tshuva denied to Moshe? What is going on? I leave that to you as a question, a cliffhanger for you to think about. And I invite you and encourage you to join us tomorrow morning for Messias Hashem at 815, Living with the Moon at 845, behind the Bima tomorrow evening at 9 p.m. Special guest judge Al Hellerstein, Alvin Hellerstein. And uh, look forward, wishing everyone a Gemar Chasimatova. Should be a good Gebenched year, good health, happiness. Look forward to continuing with the Parsha Shir following Sukkot. So stay tuned for when the next Parsha Shir will begin again following Sukkot. Gemar Chasimatova, a good Yantif, and take care.